Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. This week, we have a bonus episode and a bonus co-host. Today, I'm joined by Ty Poole, the host of another CBC podcast called Ty Asks Why. On his podcast, Ty, who's 13, tries to find answers to life's biggest questions. And like a lot of kids, he's got big questions about the coronavirus. Ty and I sat down, virtually of course, to talk about some of those questions and to answer even more questions from kids across the country. We got together on the CBC program The Current, so we were also joined by the host of that show, Matt Galloway. It was a lot of fun, and boy, kids really do ask the best questions. Here's my conversation with Matt Galloway and Ty. Hey, Brian. Uh, Me and my family recently went traveling to New Zealand, and then, you know, in the airports and in the airplanes, you hear people coughing and, you know, you see people that just look kind of sick. But I feel fine. So how would I know if I'm sick? Well, Ty, first of all, let me say it's a pleasure to speak with you. And I'm glad that we're on a first name basis. The uh, So let, let me let me start to answer your question. You'll know you're sick uh, if you have symptoms. The symptoms uh, of uh, COVID-19 include cough, fever, difficulty breathing, uh, general weakness and fatigue. You know, if you were to get a chest x-ray, it might show pneumonia in both lungs. We certainly hope that isn't going to happen with you. Uh, Emergency physicians like me who've seen some patients with COVID-19 say a lot of them have loss of appetite uh, and loss of the ability to smell. Uh, You just stop smelling stuff and uh, you might get some nausea, vomiting, a bit of diarrhea. Um, but some people uh, may have little or no symptoms, so you may not know you have symptoms of COVID-19 because they're so similar to a cold or flu. Mm. Uh, symptoms may take up to 14 days to appear after you've been exposed to somebody who has COVID-19. That's the longest period of time. We think it, in most people it's a lot less, more like five to seven days. Uh, and you know, researchers are trying to figure out whether people who have COVID-19 but have no symptoms can transmit the virus to other people. That's possible, but we don't know for certain. Excellent. All right. So we asked for questions. We got a lot of them. Let's get to uh, some of the questions from listeners. This is from eight-year-old Penelope from Toronto. Have a listen. Why don't kids with COVID-19 show symptoms as often as adults? Very straightforward question, Dr. Goldman. Uh, So uh, for Penelope, the symptoms of COVID-19 are similar in children and adults. So cold, uh, like symptoms that I just talked about when I answered uh, the question to Ty. Uh, Vomiting and diarrhea have also been reported more often in kids. And as Penelope said, kids with COVID-19 generally have presented with milder symptoms than adults. And experts aren't certain why adults and especially older adults tend to have a more serious form of of, uh, COVID-19. It may be that as we get older, the immune system is less able to fight off the infection and certainly the older people get the more um, likely they are to have diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease Mm. and chronic lung disease Uh, so when older adults who have these diseases get COVID-19 they tend to get more severely ill 
We don't know yet whether some children may be at higher risk of severe illness. You know, for instance, children who have underlying medical conditions and special health care needs, and that's something we need to learn a lot more about. And this kind of picks up on that. We got some questions about the survival rate for kids. These are anxious times, and we heard some of that anxiety from Ty. Um, Brian... Just talk a little bit about that briefly, if you could, to alleviate some of the fears that kids may have. Yeah, you know, and and certainly whenever we hear reports, there was a report of an infant in the United States who died, uh, and and those are going to happen because we're talking about a disease that's going to affect 30 to 50% of us. But I can certainly alleviate the fears that parents and some kids may have. Um, You know, because young children and even some teens may not be as reliable at hand washing and physical distancing, they may be more likely to infect one another. So they're going to be a major source of new cases of COVID-19. So that that's why they need to physically distance themselves and and not have play dates and 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 that sort of thing. But children appear to be at very low risk of severe disease and death. I haven't seen anything to to make me think otherwise. Excellent, Dr. Goldman. Uh, Ty, you have a question from a listener. Who are we going to hear from? This is a question from Nora. She's eleven. She wrote to us from Karenport, Saskatchewan, asking this: If you get COVID nineteen, are you immune? Well, Nora, uh, because we're in the early stages of figuring out COVID-19, I can't answer that question for certain. The answer really depends on how quickly the virus mutates or changes. Experts believe it's not mutating quickly. So I think that my kind of back of the envelope answer right now is that if you recover from COVID-19, you're probably immune for at least a few months. But if this turns into something that visits us every season, uh, then then it, it's possible that the COVID-19 that, that, uh, that, or, you know, COVID-20 or COVID-21, COVID-22. I hope that doesn't happen, but mm. if it does, uh, you may not be completely immune to that. These are great questions. Ty, we have another one. Who are we going to hear from now? This one's from Tess here in Toronto. She's 11. I was wondering if you have a broken limb, are you still able to go to the ER? Can you still go to the doctors for your yearly checkup? And lastly, how do they test people for COVID-19? Those are all great questions. Um, A few different ones there. Start, Brian, if you would, with uh, people visiting an ER or their family doctor, if they have to go there for something other than COVID-19. Is that still safe? Yeah, uh, it, it, it is. And, and let me start by saying to Tess, I hope you don't break an arm or leg. Uh, but if you do, you should definitely uh, go to the emergency department. You, you're still able to go. In fact, you should go uh, because that's the place where you're going to have a broken arm fixed or stitches if you need them. Uh, you know, grownups with heart attacks and strokes should definitely call 911 and get taken to the emergency department. You know, we have figured out uh, ways to separate the patients with COVID-19 from the ones who don't so that we don't ins- uh, spread the infection around we call it cohorting we're going to put the co- we're going to put the covid-19 patients uh, on one side of the emergency department and put the non-covid patients on the other side of the emergency department so the doctor's office is still a safe place to go Yes, if you if your doctor is running office hours, yeah. and uh, and of course check with your own doctor because some of them have modified their hours as they as they start to do virtual visits, uh, and you may be able to see your doctor by uh, you know by Google Hangout or you know one of the secure ways or Zoom or something like that. Tessa's other question was just about testing. How do you test people for COVID nineteen? Well, Tess, uh, doctors and nurses and other healthcare providers will take a swab from way up inside your nostril. It's called a nasopharyngeal swab. It looks like a very long, very thin, and very flexible Q-tip. I've had it done to me. Does it hurt? 
It tickles. It tickles and it irritates a bit. It may induce a cough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not painful. Uh, the person who, by the way, you know, they'll put a mask on you, and and the person who does the test will be will be gowned and 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 wearing face protection and and a mask, so that we don't want them to cough on the healthcare provider. The thing is, uh, you, you probably won't get a test done unless you get sick with suspected COVID nineteen, and probably not unless you get admitted to hospital. You know, they're ramping up more testing, and so I expect that that that's going to happen more often, but. But there's been, frankly, rationing of testing in many parts of Canada. Now, the other thing is uh, that will detect the virus or particles of the virus. Uh, and they test three things to see, to see, you know, specifically, is that COVID-19 and not some other virus? Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, in the next few weeks, we hope to have an antibody test. This is a blood test that will determine whether you were recently infected with COVID-19. If we get that, then we're going to know if people are already immune and we don't have to worry that if they get symptoms of a virus that, that we know that it's not not COVID-19 because they were recently infected. All right, let's keep going. We have lots of questions to get to. This is from eight-year-old Grace from Logie Bay in Newfoundland. We got a lot of questions like this one. Have a listen. I would like to know how the coronavirus started and how the doctors knew that the first person had it. Brian. Grace, that is a wonderful scientific question. You know, since COVID-19 first appeared in Wuhan, China, late last year, scientists have been trying to figure out exactly the answer to that question. Now, we know that this is the seventh coronavirus known to infect human beings. Uh, and uh, researchers have concluded that this, this virus, this corona, this COVID-19 was not created in a test tube. It's not some biological weapon. It occurred naturally. You know, since COVID-19 looks very similar genetically to a coronavirus that infects bats. Uh, you know, many researchers have concluded it's likely that COVID-19 originated in bats mm. and jumped species to humans. And that's because there's an unfortunate gene sequence on that coronavirus that allows this sneaky little virus to, to penetrate your lungs and, and start working, you know, causing inflammation and damage to the lungs quite quickly. Ty Poole, uh, this is a question that you have that I think a lot of us are asking, whether you're a grown-up or whether you're a kid. Go ahead. Yep, Matt. This question's from Cassia. She's seven years old and lives in Victoria, B.C. How can a coronavirus live on certain surfaces and not others? That's an interesting question. How can it live on certain surfaces but not others? Dr. Goldman? So, Cassia, a recent study by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases found that, you know, how long viruses can survive depends on the type of surface. So, you know, for instance, COVID-19 can survive on plastic for up to three days, 72 hours. It can survive uh, on stainless steel surfaces for up to 48 hours. It can survive on cardboard for 24 hours and on copper for four hours. So, so let's start looking at why, you know, more or less depending on the surface. Some surfaces are riskier than others because of various factors. One is the smoothness of the surface. Viruses survive longer on smooth surfaces like metal or plastic. The one exception is copper. Copper only four hours and that's because copper containing metals are able to kill viruses more quickly. Uh, I didn't know that Mm. until I looked it up. Viruses generally don't survive as long on porous surfaces like paper or clothing. Uh, Another factor, of course, is how often the surface is touched. So doorknobs, faucets, and phones are touched by a lot of people and can therefore infect a lot of people. And those are the ones you really have to pay attention to disinfecting. You know, indoor surfaces are riskier than outdoors because ultraviolet rays in the sunlight can help kill viruses. We got a uh, question from Martina, who's eight years old, and this kind of picks up a little bit on what you were saying. She's lucky. She says, my friends have been sending me lots of cards in the mail. Can I catch the virus from touching the mail? 
yeah, we've rediscovered mail, haven't we? Snail mail. It's good to get uh, a card in the mail. I love getting cards in the mail. Now, Martina, cards in the mail should be safe uh, it, because, in general, it takes more than 24 hours for cards to, to get from your friends to you. So that means that the, the virus, if there was virus on it, which is highly unlikely, um, it would have died by the time it reaches you. Um, we don't have precise information on clothing, but experts believe you can find living virus on clothing for several hours to maybe up to a day. So less than some of those metal surfaces that I was talking about before. Don't touch your face. Don't touch your face. Ty, Absolutely right. Yeah. This is a question that a lot of people have been thinking about. It's about social distancing. Who are we about to hear from? This is Eliana. She's nine. I'm from Toronto. My grandparents drive over and wave to us from their car. Is it okay to hang out with them, or could it spread the virus? It's a tricky question uh, for kids trying to figure out how close and whether they can even get near their grandparents. Dr. Goldman. Yeah, very, very tricky question, Eliana, and I'm sorry to say that at this point, it's not okay to visit grandparents in person just now. Uh, unless, of course, you want to, to visit outside their house and wave to one another through a window. I know a lot of people are doing that. They're driving by and, and, and waving. Uh, keep in mind that if you don't live with your grandparents, the journey to their place on foot by bike or in a car risks your chances of getting COVID-19 along the way. If, uh, if your grandparents are age 60 and older, they're at greater risk of getting a severe form of coronavirus. Unfortunately, it also means not being able to visit loved ones in hospital or in long-term care facilities. What you can do is visit them virtually. So we've gotten away from calling this social distancing. It's not, it never was that. It's physical distancing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, you can stay in touch with them virtually by computer, by smartphones. You can use apps like House Party and FaceTime and WhatsApp, and they're great for staying in touch. And I encourage you to do that. And of course, use snail mail because people still, I bet your grandparents love to receive cards in the mail. We also got another question from someone who lives with their grandparents and is worried about visiting his dad and his dad's girlfriend on weekends. There are a lot of kids who are in this type of situation. Is there anything that they can do to, to reduce their risk? Yeah, this is a tricky question, and and uh, it has both a public health and a social answer. Uh, you know, ordinarily, you know, physical distancing means kids stay stay with one parent, uh, and that would be the rule. But you know, I think I think in the modern world where where um, uh, kids may be visiting multiple parents and staying with multiple parents, you know, I think public health authorities would make an exception in this case provided you are taken back and forth directly from one parent's house to the other. So no drop-offs at neutral sites like stores and shopping malls because you're just increasing your risk of of picking up COVID-19 along the way. That, of course, assumes that everybody is well. If anybody in the house develops symptoms, uh, including children, that person must self-isolate, as should other members of the household, which would basically end the moving back and forth from one parent to another. So, you know, if, if your co-parent has has symptoms of coronavirus, you should not send your child to their house. So that's advice for the grown-ups. And equally, if a vulnerable person like a grandparent lives in a household, their welfare should be taken into consideration before deciding whether a, a child should visit. So I, I hope that answers your question. It may not be uh, you know, certainly you're going to have to be very, and of course, scrupulous hand washing, lots and lots of hand washing and cleaning off of surfaces because you don't want to increase the likelihood of spreading the virus in that way. Ryan is seven years old and Ryan wanted to know whether animals can get COVID-19. Yeah, uh, as far as we know, Ryan, um, you know, there's currently no evidence that domestic animals like pets can become sick with COVID-19 or can spread the virus to other people. 
That's good to know. Um, another question from Owen, who's 10 years old, wrote us on Facebook. How important is it to continue getting outside to play if I'm staying a safe distance from others? Uh, you know, as somebody who, who runs, uh, and and I know Matt is a runner as well, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's important and safe to play outside provided you stay at least two meters or six feet from other people. Uh, you know, the air outside circulates much more quickly and, and completely than the air indoors. You know, in that way, from the standpoint of COVID-19, the air outside is healthier than indoor air. What increases the risk outdoors is getting too close to a much larger group of people. So you have to physically distance yourself from others. But I would not, and, and it's good for your, it's good to get the sun. It's also good to get some exercise. It's good for your well-being. I would not tell people to not exercise. I'm trying to squeeze a couple more questions in. This one comes from Ibrahim in Boucherville, Quebec. How fast could the coronavirus mutate? We think that 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 the coronavirus, you know, it, it's, there are two circulating coronaviruses right now that we're aware of. Uh, and, uh, and, um, you know, that suggests that it can mutate on the order of, you know, maybe once every three or four months. And, and so I think that's, that, that's how fast right now. And, and, and that's the, the rationale. That's the reason for suggesting that, that people would get uh, at least partial protection from, uh, from coronavirus, from the second coronavirus. Uh, and, and your immunity would last at least three to four months. So, uh, so, but, but, you know, of course it's a sneaky virus. It it could change and it could change its properties uh, in the months ahead. These are smart questions. Um, They really are. Yes. We have one more. And this is the number one question that we heard from kids. Ty, why don't you set this question up for us? This is from Owen, who's six years old and from Winnipeg. And this is a question all of us kids want to know, including me. I'm in kindergarten. I just want to know. When would I go back to school? Owen's in kindergarten. When is he going to be able to go back to school, Brian? Oh, Owen, everybody wants to know when life will get back to normal. You'll know we're on the right track when public health people start saying we're past the peak of COVID-19. So watch the numbers. We need we need much more testing, uh, particularly in some provinces more than others. When that happens, you know, when we say that when the public health officials say we're past the peak, the number of new cases will start going down. That's unlikely to happen in the next two to three weeks. And I think all of us need to prepare for the strong possibility that school won't start again uh, until June or even the summer and possibly not until the fall. Uh, until then, you know, wash your hands, practice the physical distance. You know, I'm hoping that schools get a lot better at developing online uh, learning modules and, and, and find a way of doing that better than they have so far. But they're all scrambling just as we all are. I think we have to remember that we're all in this together. School in the summer? School in the summer! Might be possible. No. <laughs> Ty doesn't like that. Ty, what are you looking forward to doing when all of this is over? When this all blows over and we can go and see people again i'm just really excited to go with my friends and just get a poutine poutine that's going to be the first thing you're going to go out and eat with your friends when this is done it's been so long matt (laughs) we used to have a weekly tradition so it's sad thanks for listening to this bonus episode of the dose thanks to ty pool of ty asks why for joining me and to matt galloway and the current for bringing all of us together And of course, a big shout out to all the kids who ask such great questions. Before I go, here's my dose of smart advice this week. If you're a parent, you've probably been grappling with how to respond to your kids' questions and anxiety about COVID-19. You might recall that last week we talked to Dr. Peter Selby of the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, who had a lot of tips about managing stress. 
what he said about talking to kids stayed with me. Be transparent, be open to talking to them, even if it's about their worst fears. And remember, we're in this together. As always, The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you need medical advice, please see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. That's your dose. Until the next. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.